The following is a listener-supported ministry from the Grace Evangelical Society. What does the Bible say about limited atonement or unlimited atonement? And what is advice on being rebaptized? We're going to have a question and answer episode today on Grace in Focus. This is the radio ministry and the podcast ministry of the Grace Evangelical Society. Hope you'll stay tuned. We love having you here. If you want to find out more about us, about free grace theology, what we believe, and read many of the articles that we've written, you'll find our website a great resource. Find us at faithalone.org. That's faithalone.org. Now with a question and answer discussion, here is Bob Wilkin along with David Renfro. David, I believe you have a question from someone named Anonymous. He has a very interesting question here. He says, how could the Lord Jesus Christ bear the sins of the world for us if the Bible mentions in Ezekiel 18.20 that each person is responsible for his own sin? This is an argument that I heard from a Jewish rabbi that obviously rejects Christ as the Messiah. Yeah, maybe you can read Ezekiel 18.20 and then we'll go from there. Okay, here's Ezekiel 18.20. The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father bear the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. Now, Ezekiel 18 is a very famous repentance chapter. In fact, I have a long discussion of this in my book, Turn and Live, The Power of Repentance. Mm -hmm. And I get turn and live from this very chapter. Because it ends, notice the last verse in the chapter, verse 32. For I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies, says the Lord. Therefore, turn and live. Yeah. So if you want to keep on living, you've got to turn from your sinful ways. This isn't talking about everlasting life and eternal death. This isn't the second death. This is talking about physical life and physical death. And one way we know it. It says if the righteous man turns from his righteousness, he's going to die. And so the death there is physical death. And Feinberg in his commentary on Ezekiel has a nice discussion of this. And he Hmm. says the issue here is not heaven and hell. The issue here is physical life, physical death, in keeping with the Old Testament blessing and cursing motif. Mm -hmm. The point here is that there's no contradiction here to unlimited atonement. How could the Lord Jesus bear the sins of the world for us if Ezekiel 18.20 is each person? It sounds like he thinks Ezekiel 18 contradicts the whole teaching that Jesus died for our sins or atoned. And what we need to understand, I have an article talking about aspects of the shed blood of Christ and the death of Christ for people. And I point out that some of these are unconditional and some of them are conditional. Mm -hmm. For example, the atonement where he died on the cross for the sins of the world, John 129, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Right. That's unconditional. There's no condition. He's already done it. He's already removed the sin barrier. And that means we're not going to be sent to hell because we're sinners. If we end up going to the lake of fire, it'll be because our names are not in the book of life, Revelation 20, 15, Mm -hmm. because we didn't believe in him. However, there are other aspects of the shed blood of Christ that are conditional. For example, 1 John 1, 7 says, if we walk in the light... As he himself is in the light, then the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Mm -hmm. 
that fellowship cleansing requires I'm walking in the light of God's word. Mm-hmm. If I'm not, I don't get the benefit. Right. Same thing with 1 John 1, 9. Confessing my sins does not result in forgiveness of sins. It doesn't get you saved. No. <laughs> and it doesn't give me fellowship with God unless I'm walking in the light. Mm-hmm. I have to be walking in the light, and then I have to also be acknowledging my sins. So somebody cannot say, Lord, forgive me for doing something. Thank you. And then go back and do something horrible again. Yeah. And then come back to the Lord. Forgive me for doing that, too. Yeah. And but you go back to your sin. Right. If your intention is to keep on sinning, then you have not been a person who's walking in the light. You're a person who's walking in the darkness. Right. Confessing of sins only works if I'm walking in the light. And also it implies that if you go back to your sin after, quote, confessing your sin, Who's in control of your life? It's not the Lord. It's sin. Now, I will put a little caveat, a little warning here. Okay. And that is, we as human beings are complicated people, and sometimes we have what people call a besetting sin. Just jumping in here to make you aware of our magazine, Grace in Focus. It is a bi-monthly, six issues per year, 48-page magazine, full color, And we want you to subscribe by emailing your name and your snail mail address to ges at faithalone.org. The subscription is free. It can be accessed electronically or it can be actually physically sent to you if you live in the lower 48 United States. That's our Grace and Focus magazine. Send your name and snail mail address to ges at faithalone.org. Sometimes we have what people call a besetting sin whether it's jealousy or anger or envy or whatever it is. And sometimes a person can be walking in the light, genuinely acknowledge that they have sinned, have no desire to do it again. And then an hour or two later, they find themselves doing that same thing again. Right. So it's not like they went out of their way to do it again. They got the best of them. And part of it is growth takes time. I was wondering, based on your idea of besetting sin, is an abnormal desire for chocolate one of those besetting sins? Because no, I'm Dave, a chocoholic. Okay. That's okay. Oh, okay. I, I, just want, I, I just wanted to clarify that. I absolve you of your chocoholism. <laughs> how many Kit Kats do you have there? Two or is it three? I am not going to confess on radio okay. how much chocolate I have in front of me right now. Right. Well, when he came here, I said, David, have some chocolate. <laughs> so he piled up three of them, and he's got them here uh, right Make on it the, four. Make it four. <laughs> Okay, you are a chocoholic. Yeah, I'm a charter member okay. of Chocoholics Anonymous. Hi, I'm David. I'm and, a chocoholic. Yeah. Hi, David. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now we got another question. I believe it's from Richard. It's from Richard. It's about something called a lexicon. What in the world is a lexicon? Is that a small green person? In some cultures, yes. <laughs> <laughs> If you're Irish, it's called a lexicon. If you're Irish, it's called a leprechaun. Oh, leprechaun. But So what's a lexicon? A lexicon is, a, for lack of a better way to say it, it's a Greek to English dictionary. or any, any dictionary is a lexicon, but Richard's asking about a Greek to English lexicon for the uh, New Testament Greek, right? Yeah. He says, I have a few questions that I hope you will answer me concerning the Greek New Testament translation the best and the most affordable, well, so much for that, Greek lexicon and the Kittle Greek Dictionary, the big 10-volume set yeah. that I still have. 
And uh, you, you'll sell it to Richard for you know thousand for a small fee. Yeah, uh, they're collectors' items now. Uh, he says, "Is there a Bible that's written in English, translated from Westcott Hort Greek New Testament, which is an older?" Right. And then, which Greek New Testament lexicon is the best to use as an affordable price? And then he says, "Is the Kittle Greek Dictionary a reliable information source?" What do you think? I would suggest, first of all, that concerning Westcott and Hort Greek New Testament, most English translations follow what's called the critical text, Mm -hmm. which is the Westcott-Hort text. Right. So the New New International Version— Why is it critical? Does it criticize stuff? Yeah, it's called critical because it's analytical. It analyzes the manuscripts— but it's really not critical. It's so-called critical right. because it rejects the it, majority it's a, text. It, it's a misnomer. <laughs> they should use a different word than critical. Right. And the Net Bible, the New American Standard Bible, the Holman Christian Standard Bible, there's all kinds of them that follow mm-hmm. Westcott Hort. Yeah. Now, in terms of which lexicon is the best to use and affordable, I like Logos Bible software, but even their real simple package, Logos 10, sells for a couple hundred dollars. So you're going to have to shell out some money, and the ones with better lexicons cost more. Um, is Kittle reliable? Yeah, mostly. It has its biases, and so you need to be careful. But here are a couple of inexpensive ones I could recommend. First of all, Robinson and House have an analytical lexicon of the New Testament Greek. Mm-hmm. And that's $28 online, and Maurice Robinson is one of the architects of one of the majority text translations, so I, I think highly of him. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, one of the profs at Dallas Seminary, Burer, and a guy named Miller, they came out with a new reader's lexicon of the Greek New Testament. That's $29 online. Hmm. So either of these would probably be somewhat helpful. But I would suggest the key to doing word studies is actually doing word studies. Mm-hmm. Don't just go to a lexicon, read it, and say that's what it means. Right. Go to the scriptures, look at a concordance, whether it's Englishman's Greek concordance or Strong's or Young's, and look up how the word is used in the New Testament or the Old Testament mm-hmm. and do the work yourself. Do the spade work. Some of these, I know Logos and some of these others have stuff like Liddell Scott. Right. And Moulton and Milligan. And, but the more, I think the more recent one is Bauer Danker, right. which is a purely a lexicon. And you can do what you're saying. Go through maybe one of these lexicons, and they have a lot of references, and check to see how that works. Uh, look at all of them and right. look at the context of all of them. I think you're right in that. Yeah, uh, and BDAG's good, but it's about $120, so it's a little bit on the pricey side. Uh, just skip lunch every now and then, and <laughs> you'll pay for it. There you go. All right, I think we've got time for one more question. Okay, a guy named Kyle asked, Over 10 years ago, I was baptized as a teenager. Looking back, I can't remember if I believed the saving message back then or not. However, I know I believe in Jesus and him alone for my salvation. Now, what should I do? Thank you for all your ministry and advice. God bless. I think he's asking, should I get baptized again? Right. And he goes on to say that he's afraid of making a mockery of Christ and of baptism by being baptized again. Yeah. I would point out that both Luther and Calvin killed Anabaptist. Anabaptist means someone who taught that you should be baptized as a believer. Mm-hmm. 
because at the time of Luther and Calvin, almost everybody was baptized as a baby. Mm -hmm. And then if they would come to faith, let's say, as an adult, the Anabaptists would say, you should be baptized. But Luther and Calvin said, no, once you're baptized, you're always baptized, even though you were a baby. And so that's a different philosophy. And it depends on your view of baptism. But my suggestion would be, for Kyle, don't be baptized again because you're not sure you were an unbeliever when you were baptized as a teen. Right. If you were, I'd say go ahead and be baptized again if you feel that that's important. If, if you're really strongly convinced that you were not a believer the first time. Yeah, and yeah. if your conscience tells you that I do believe a person should be baptized as a believer. Right. If you believe that, then go ahead and do it. But in his case, he can't remember whether he was sure of his salvation at that point. I wouldn't redo it in a case like this. I agree. Well, thank you, Kyle, for your question, and Richard and Anonymous. If you want your question read on the air, keep them simple. Shorter questions are much more likely to get answered than these, you know, long, lengthy questions. Well, thanks so much, and keep grace. In focus. Be our guest and subscribe to our 48-page magazine, six issues per year, also called Grace in Focus, by emailing your name and snail mail address to ges at faithalone.org. That's faithalone.org. On this program, we keep our requests for financial partners to a minimum. But if you are interested in becoming a financial partner with Grace in Focus, you can find out how to do that at faithalone.org. On the next episode, Bob and Dave join us again to explain why the free grace position is true. Please join us, and until then, let's keep grace in focus. The proceeding has been a listener-supported ministry from the Grace Evangelical Society.